0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer.
1: It is written that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So here's my question for you. Are you in the mode of fainting right now? Now, don't answer quickly because fainting involves not just, well, passing out because your blood flow and so on may not be adequate or because you lose breath. That's really not the biblical issue of fainting. Fainting has to do with not enduring. It has to do with giving up. It has to do with losing courage. It has to do with. Well, not trusting God. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about this matter of prayer. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And of course, that includes women. We want to include everybody here, and that's what the Bible includes. So I have another question for you. For the past 40 years or so, there has been an inordinate amount of prayer going up across America for Revival, for a turning, a turning away from sinful ways and a turning away to God's way. We talk about saving America. In fact, there is, as we speak, an effort to try to recovenant with God, to return America to God. But if America has strayed away from God, then whose prayer can he heed will he heed the prayer of a nation that's turned away from him or will he only hear the prayers of those who are following him with a whole heart that's what we want to talk about here today on viewpoint and i'm glad that you've joined us its conversation is always with ever increasing conviction talk that transforms Very sorry for the little break there. It was necessary. (laughs) And so we continue on taking a look at this matter of prayer. Now, if we have had 40 years of prayer going up across this country for the direction, return of America to God, why is it America has not returned to God? In fact, one person actually was bragging that there had been so much prayer go up over the past uh, 25, 30 years that God had to listen and respond. Is that true? Did God have to listen and respond? And if so, what would his response be? Well, his response might be very different than what we might expect. And it might have something to do not only with our prayers, but with the condition of our lives under which we are offering those prayers today in the second half of the program we're going to be joined lord willing the creek don't rise by ray comfort ray comfort may provide a certain amount of comfort to us as he talks about how to make sure god hears our prayers but the bible tells us that there are many prayers that god will not hear in fact The Bible also tells us that his ears are actually closed to many people, a certain kind of people. And it has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with other things from God's viewpoint. So God's viewpoint concerning this matter of prayer is exceedingly important. Prayer is important. It is extremely important, and we don't want to put uh, any negative spin on our prayers. But A.W. Tozer made this statement. He said, prayer is no substitute for obedience. No substitute for obedience. Well, if prayer is no substitute for obedience, and the word obey has become the most hated word in the church, maybe that gives us a clue as to why our prayers have not Been answered as we have thought. So, today on Viewpoint, in the second half of the program, as Ray Comfort joins us, we're going to be taking a look at uh, a healthy fear of the Lord, what that has to do with uh, prayer, God answering our prayers, uh, as to our own lives, our own attitudes, and so on, uh, promises to those who fear God. You say, fear God, what does that have to do with prayer? Well, you might just be shocked. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding, then the fear of the Lord must have something to do with God hearing our prayers or not hearing our prayers. Sometimes God actually hears our prayers, but he answers in a way different than what we understood. For instance, the Apostle Paul Cried out to the Lord, he said three times, "I beg the Lord to deliver me from this uh, affliction in my flesh." Now we've we've surmised at what that might be. Uh, we don't know exactly what that is, but he said the Lord responded to me, saying, "No, my strength is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in." your weakness, brother Paul. So there are certain things that God, from his perspective, his viewpoint, sees that are necessary when we don't, which might have a lot to do with some of the circumstances that we go through, that we wish we wouldn't go through, that we feel like we have no ability to resist. They just come our way. Sometimes they're very painful Sometimes they uh, cause this great consternation. And so we cry out to the Lord, deliver me. But he doesn't necessarily deliver us in that moment of time. Maybe that's the reason why the Apostle James said that we should endure temptations with gratitude, trials and temptations, knowing and confident that they work in us Patience. So he says, let patience have its perfect work that you might be entire, lacking in nothing. Now, that's a very hard thing for us, isn't it? Patience is one of the great necessities for our understanding of answered prayer. And when we pray, we kind of expect God to respond like a slot, uh, you know, like a slot machine. We prayed, God answers immediately, and, he, and, and then we go on from there. But it doesn't necessarily work that way. On the other hand, I have oftentimes prayed a very, very simple prayer concerning understanding a particular thing. For instance, I remember on my way to a pastor's uh, breakfast, uh, it was a usual monthly pastor's breakfast, And as I was driving, I was very concerned because we have had all this prayer going up for revival. Not only across the country, but in the birth city of America, Richmond, Virginia. Right there on the shores of the James. Prayer groups after prayer groups after prayer groups and after prayer groups. And I had been part of most of them for many, many years. And then God spoke to me he said something very interesting. You might want to know what that was, because it might have something to do with why many of our prayers are not answered. I'll share that with you after this break. You'll listen to Viewpoint, and Viewpoint does determine destiny. I hope you'll stay with us through the second half of the program today, as we're joined by Ray Comfort. It's a delight to join you here on Viewpoint today. Again, today we're talking about the matter of prayer. How to make sure God hears our prayers. But in order to get to that point with our brother and friend, Ray Comfort, who will be joining us at the uh, bottom of the hour, I want to uh, just share with you what God said to me very simply. It was an instant answer to a prayer that I prayed very simply as I was driving over America's birth river, the James River, on my way to a pastor's breakfast. And so the question was, Lord, why, after all these years of praying across America and praying in the birth city of America, Richmond, Virginia, crying out to you for revival and for turning of our country back to you, why do we not have an answer to that? Why have we seen none of that in reality in our time? And here was his simple answer. Are you ready for this? He said, my pastors are not preaching righteousness. That's all he said. And while I was contemplating that, my pastors are not preaching righteousness, and then he responded with another word. That is, and that's the reason why your nation is in the deep trouble that it's in. So I was contemplating that for a moment, and they responded with a third witness in my spirit. And that's the reason why my church has no ability to affect your country. My pastors are not preaching righteousness. So I got to this pastor's gathering And uh, as usual, people were gathering around in fellowship over a cup of coffee and so on before the actual meeting began. And I had a conversation with a a very recognized uh, pastor, pastor of an evangelical church that had its roots in the holiness movement. And I was just sharing this little uh, tete-a-tete that I had with, uh, with the Lord on the way over. And as I did that, And I said, the Lord said, my pastors are not preaching righteousness. This pastor hung his head and said this. I'm not sure I even know how to preach righteousness. I want you to think about that. If a pastor doesn't know how to preach righteousness, that means his people very likely are not getting a message of righteousness. Yet, the Lord says in his word that his throne is established in righteousness and that righteousness alone exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So you start connecting the dots and you begin to realize maybe this is the reason why we've had no revival after all of these years of crying out to God, seven, uh, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are uh, called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, I want to share with you another little account. In nineteen ninety six, Doctor Bill Bright who had won the Templeton uh, Award for Religion in America, received a $1 million award. He decided to use that to advance the cause of prayer in the church and for our country. So he set up a series of events. One of those was held in St. Louis, Missouri in 1996, the fall of 1996 it was called fasting and prayer st louis well in anticipation for that the lord had put upon my heart a number of months earlier to write an open letter to the churches of america and i took a week a week off of prayer and fasting prayer and fasting on at Prayer Mountain in Colorado Springs, just to, just below uh, Pike's Peak, America's Mountain. The one where Catherine Lee Bates penned America the Beautiful. You know, America, America, God shed his grace on thee, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. And so, after that week of prayer and fasting, the Lord prompted me to turn that open letter into a lawsuit. Jehovah God, the Lord of Nations versus the spiritual leaders of America, a.k.a. pastors, parachurch leaders, broadcasters, authors, and so on, uh, publishers, uh, as defendants. It was filed not in the courts of men, but in the courts of the Lord. That's right. Very much like the Old Testament prophets did. And so... It was set forth in five legal causes of action. All of them were supported by all of the uh, facts that supported them, and then by points and authorities from the prophet Jeremiah. It was served on 300 of the most prominent Christian leaders of the land, some of them personally, others by Federal Express. Three hundred of the most prominent Christian leaders in the land. This preceded fasting and prayer nineteen ninety-six and also fasting and prayer in our nation's capital that happened just a couple of weeks before fasting and prayer nineteen ninety-six in St. Louis. One individual that received that contacted me and said, Chuck. I have received your lawsuit. And as I began to read it, I realized the Lord was speaking to me in a very unique way, because what you did not know and could not have known is that I have been asked to be the keynote speaker at Fasting and Prayer 96. So she invited me together with uh, a leader, a ministry leader that uh, was working with her to join them in their special room uh, for a long discussion regarding the spiritual condition of our country. This was immediately before she gave her address at Fasting and Prayer 96 to 4,000 Christian leaders that were there supposedly to pray for the church in America. Something that had never been done. All of the prayers had been for the nation, This was supposedly a prayer for the church in America. So she took that lawsuit, transformed it into her words, and gave her address. It may have been the most powerful address ever given in the last 30 years in our country. It was addressed to the church, and it was called this begin at my sanctuary, begin at my sanctuary. In other words, don't begin in the White House. Don't begin in the church, in the schoolhouse. Don't begin in the courthouse. Begin at my house, said the Lord. Now that's interesting. Why would God do that? Maybe, just maybe, this was the real answer to prayer. Contrary to everything that had been prayed, that those people there, the liberals, the abortionists, the homosexuals, slick in the White House, whoever it was at that time, that they would repent and they would get back to advancing traditional American churchianity and uh, say, God bless you, uh, God bless America, and everything would be wonderful and everything would be cool. But God said No. No, it has to begin at my house. My house. Well, what is it that has to begin at his house? That's the interesting thing. What do you think it would be that had to begin at God's house? Well, he told us. In fact, we have been quoting it in Second Chronicles 7.14 for years and years and years. Our National Day of Prayer had been focused on this. Over and over and over again, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal their land. It's wonderful. Some people might say, well, that was actually given to Israel, which is true, by the way. But by implication for Gentile believers being grafted in, I think it would be appropriate that we could understand that that would be God's condition. If my people. It's conditional. Notice the word if. It's the biggest little word in the Bible. Perhaps one of the most important, maybe the most important word in the Bible. Because all of God's responses to us are conditional. His love is given because of his grace and mercy. But the consequences the fruit of that is all conditional including salvation itself and we just don't seem to understand that if if who if my people well who are his people his people are those who pressed who professed to be his followers yet the prophet malachi in malachi chapter 2 addressed the religious leaders of his day the high priest uh all of those fellows, and he said, look, God was speaking through Malachi, and he said, look, if I be a father, then where is my honor? In other words, the religious leaders were not conducting themselves in such a way that God would hear them. Yet, if you read on in Malachi chapter 2, they were crying to the Lord. Because things weren't going well in Israel. So, again, God spoke to them through the prophet Malachi. He said, you're dealing treacherously with the wives of your youth. Three times he repeats that theme in Malachi chapter 2. In other words, he also said, I hate putting away or I hate divorce. Now, when you hear that, when you read that, what goes through your mind? If that was a condition for God's blessing his people, then would it not be a similar condition to his blessing of a nation now? If righteousness alone exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to every people and God considers putting away or divorces sin, It doesn't take a Philadelphia lawyer to figure it out, does it? To connect the dots. And this is just one illustration. And then he went on to say, and by the way, guys, uh, you're robbing me. Now, God didn't precise uh, go to the extent of reciting all of their sins. He went to two significant things that they had rejected in their lives. That is being faithful to their spouses and being faithful in their tithes and offerings. God says, you, you robbed me. But they responded, wherein have we robbed you? In other words, they didn't get it. They were still pr- praying. They were crying out to God for deliverance, for hope, and so on. But they did not. In fact, they almost refused to see things from God's viewpoint or perspective. Now, if we refuse to see things from God's perspective, then what can we expect with regard to his answering prayer? Are you beginning to get the picture? So, while we're not giving this program over to the issue of divorce and remarriage and so on, apparently God considers that to be extremely significant if we want him to answer our prayers. He said so to Israel, and he says the same to us. So the fact of the matter is that for the past uh, 30 years or so, the divorce rate in America has continued to be high. It's dropped recently, but only because cohabitation is taken over for marriage, which also is fornication, which also is sinful before in the eyes of the Lord. Yet, U.S. News & World Report reported in 1997 that premarital sex had become the sin that Americans wink at. That was the title of their news article. Premarital sex, the sin that Americans wink at. What Americans? All Americans, including professing Christian Americans. And then... We want to cry out to God for his help and his deliverance? Really? Are we playing a game with God, maybe? I trust that Ray Comfort will join us shortly how to make sure God hears There's our There's so prayers. much
2: more about Chuck Chrismeyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind,
1: Again, today we're talking about how to make sure God hears our prayers, and we've been laying a foundation for this because, in many respects, we've been praying for all these years, 40 years at least, for revival in America. I've been involved personally in many of the major prayer gatherings and movements across the country. We have had some of the major leading prayer warriors, leaders here on this program over the years. But I remember back at Prastic and Prayer 96, taking aside in private one of the premier prayer leaders of the time. And I said, how is it that we have had all of these National Days of Prayer and we've talked about, uh, we started out by talking about healing our land, which was the, the ultimate goal of all the prayer, supposedly. And then we went to uh, prayer, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray. So we thought that prayer, a lot of prayer, and more and a lot of prayer, and huge, huge gulps of prayer were going to be the answer. And then we moved from there to seek his face. We we never really defined what that really was. And interestingly, we never got to the fulcrum condition that God had expressed in his word. We just never got there. And it's a delight to know that our guest Ray Comfort is joining us and he'll be with us in just a moment. But We never quite got there. So I asked this prayer leader, why is it that after all of these years of prayer and fasting and national days of prayer and all of this, that we have never gotten to God's fulcrum condition, which is my people turning from their wicked ways? And here was the answer. Are you ready for this? Here was the answer. is three words. It's too negative. Did you hear that, my friend? It's too negative. What's too negative? The very thing that God says was a condition to have our prayers answered. And so we continue to languish. We continue to languish in unanswered prayers individually, as families, as congregations, and also as a nation. So what is it? Is there some way to make sure that God hears our prayers Well, he did give us a series of uh, conditions there in 2 Chronicles 7.14, but that's not the only place he gives us those conditions. And so Ray Comfort is here to give us some comfort, maybe, with regard to making sure God answers our prayers. Ray, it's good to have you back on the program. It's been years, my friend.
0: It's good to always be back. It's a good sign.
1: Well, yeah, and I like to get that, uh, what is it, that that down-under Australian accent?
0: Now, I'm actually from Texas, I fake this just to get people to
1: listen. (laughs) Okay. Well, something has to fake us into listening. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, this book is pretty unusual for you. Uh, you, You've uh, dealt with some pretty important issues in the past about, uh, you know, bringing people to the Lord. You've been concerned with evangelism and bringing people to the Lord, and uh, the... The gravamen of that has always been, well, you gotta let them know they're sinners. And yet Absolutely, yes. and, and and yet one of the key spiritual leaders of our time who was gathering evangelical leaders from all over the country for many years said that to tell people that they're sinners actually is spiritual child abuse. They don't need to be told they're sinners, they just need to have better and more self esteem. What do you make of that?
0: I think it's terrible. That person needs to read the Bible. What, what the problem is, is many of our uh, top preachers are more like motivational speakers. Ah, so they
1: should, you got that right.
0: Yeah, they should have got a job as a plumber or electrician or something, but not as preachers of righteousness, because that's what we're called to. We're supposed to thunder righteousness and justice and truth from the pulpit, not make up our own little... Okay, but, but let me
3: ask
1: you a question. We only have a few minutes. Normally I have a whole hour to uh, talk with someone about these things. What is righteousness from God's viewpoint?
0: Absolutely, out of perfection. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if you want to see God, if you want to keep your life, if you want to have peace with God, you've got to find purity of heart. And there's no way we can do that in our own righteousness. The Bible All right, but says that so,
1: Let's suppose that we decide that we don't like something that God said. For instance, we were talking earlier about how uh, God spoke through Malachi to the religious leaders of his day. And he he said that they were dealing treacherously with the wives of their youth. They were divorcing them. And God says, I hate divorce. So if God hates divorce, then why is it for the past uh, 25, 30 years, the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. Is that righteousness?
0: No. What we, what's happened is that we've opened up the doors of the church and said, world, come, in." instead of saying, straight is the gate, and now is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Mm-hmm. We've said, hey, it's easy to become a Christian. Just give your heart to Jesus. When the Bible says the exact opposite, it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. In other words, it's contrition or godly sorrow that produces repentance, and we'll never find a place of biblical repentance which leads to life while we deny God's moral law. The reason Jesus opened up the law in the, in the Sermon on the Mount was to show us the righteousness of God, and that's what brought me to Christ. I remember reading the words of Jesus in Matthew five twenty 28. You've heard it said, by them of old you shall not commit adultery. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I've never done that. If there's a heaven, I'll make it. But then I read the words where he said, But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. It was like an an arrow hit my chest. Oh, Mm -hmm. boy, indeed. That's when I realized I was under God's wrath. That's when I realized I wasn't heading for heaven. I was heading for hell. And that's when I understood the cross. Here's a little analogy, if I may share it. If a doctor's got a patient in front of him who thinks he's incredibly well, but the doctor knows different. He's got x rays that show he's dying and will be dead in two weeks. Should he give him the cure that's in his pocket or should he show him the x rays? And I asked a lot of people, people say, I should give him the cure. I said, why would he do that? Because the person's not going to want it. They think they're well and they're going to say, What are you giving me a cure to me for? They're going to be offended and say, Put mm. your silly cure on me. If the doctor's a good doctor, he'll hold up the x rays, let the patient see the poison seeping through his system. He'll make him sweat and tremble. So he says, whoa, I can see how serious this is. What should I do? And then when he gives them the cure, he's going to appreciate it and appropriate it. And what we've done in the United States is we've held up the cure. <clears throat> Who in America doesn't know John 3.16? Jesus died for us then. So what? I don't need Jesus. Don't push that religion down my throat. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them
3: mm-hmm. because
0: we've never opened up the divine law. We've never showed them the x-rays to show that sin is exceedingly sinful, that it's terminal, and each of us need God's mercy more than we need the ear that we breathe. Now, wait
1: a minute. You you used the word mercy. We don't use the word mercy anymore. We use the word grace. So grace has superseded mercy because we don't really believe we're guilty. We're just pretty good guys. We just need a little help.
0: The Bible says, most every man will proclaim his own goodness. And if you ask any person, do you think you're a good person?, they'll reply to you, yeah, I'm a really good person. And that's because they did what the Jews did in the, in the time of Paul. He said to go about to establish their own righteousness, being ignorant of the righteousness, which is of God. So what Jesus did with the Sermon on the Mount is he magnified the law and made it honorable. He showed that God requires truth in the inward part, mm-hmm. that God sees the thought life. And this is what brought the Apostle Paul to the foot of the cross. He said, the commandment, which I thought was ordained to life, brought death to me. And he said, by the commandment, sin became exceedingly sinful. In other words, God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, showed Paul his desperate need of a Savior.
3: All right, so
1: when we asked, when we prayed to God that uh, pagans would live like Christians were supposed to live, while Christians were living increasingly like pagans, How could we have expected God to hear our prayer and to heal our land? Well, the
0: Bible says of Jesus, he was heard in that he feared. The fear of God is a repulsive doctrine in the eyes of the world, and Mm -hmm. even in the eyes of many in the church. But the Bible says, through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Let me just share something with you. I'm originally from New Zealand, as you mentioned, I have a slight accent. In New Zealand. 30...
1: <laughs> by the way, there—you guys are so far under down there in New Zealand. There's no sin down there, is there?
0: <clears throat> oh boy, you wouldn't believe it. We've imitated the United States like you wouldn't believe. <laughs>
1: anyway,
0: when I lived in when I lived in uh, New Zealand, the police didn't have guns. If a criminal was naughty, that hit him with a stick. Things have changed, but that gave me a great advantage when I came to the U.S. Because when I was open air preaching and I was approached by a police officer, I would say to myself, "He's." Got a gun. It's all I could see. He's got a gun. This man can kill me legally. If I move too quickly and he thinks his life is in danger, it's all over for me. So I had more than a reverential uh, fear of the police. I had fear of what they could do. Mm -hmm. And this is the fear the world needs to be approached with. Jesus said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. It's that sort of fear the world needs to. They need to fear and tremble. I remember years ago, I was 16 years old. This is six years before I became a Christian. I was out the back of a dance hall at night in long grass with a gorgeous 16-year-old female. Uh And we were were lying down, and my my intentions were not honorable. But she said something that put the fear of God into me. She just said this, you know what? God's watching us, and it was like a bucket of ice came from the heavens, caused a lot of steam. I said, let's go back inside of the hall. <laughs> Looking back, the fear of God caused me to depart from evil, as good mm-hmm. to say. I could have got her pregnant. I could have brought shame to her family and shame to my family, or mm-hmm. even instigated an abortion or something terrible like that. So that's the sort of fear the world needs, a fear that'll cause them to depart from evil because Believe me, they will not depart from their beloved sins while they don't fear God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. They drink iniquity like water. They love darkness rather than light, and their eyes are filled with adultery until the fear of God comes before their eyes and causes them to depart from sin. All right,
1: so the lack of the fear of the Lord is uh, actually frustrating uh, God hearing our prayers because there are things lurking in our lives that... Quite frankly, we don't want God to see. We'll be right back after this, friends, with Ray Comfort.
2: Have you ever considered what the early church was like? But the same can be found right now. Go to SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive 1st century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. (laughs) That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church.
1: Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. A special guest, uh, Ray Comfort, must be fixing breakfast. I can hear uh, the <laughs> pots uh, going there. Uh, you're still in California, aren't you? Yes, sir. I'm right All right, so God. you're fixing breakfast out there in California. We can almost smell it right now.
0: But... Well, you let me know if the Lord comes, because you've got three hours on me.
1: <laughs> well, look, friends, I want to make sure you get a copy of this wonderful book, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Word. Prayers. There is no way that we can go through all of this here today on Viewpoint, but it's a beautiful small book that you can keep right there uh, next to your bed and so on. And uh, it's a $16, $17 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, or you can call us at 1 800 SAVE USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 7 0879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, if you're really serious about God answering your prayers, then your ears will be tuned and have been in the process of being tuned to God's viewpoint concerning the foundation for his hearing our prayers, because God has not committed himself to hear the prayer of an unrighteous person whether they profess to be a Christian or not, unless they have a heart that is pure and willing to repent. Do I have that correct, Ray?
0: Yeah, whether or not God hears our prayers doesn't really matter unless you're hanging over you. a thousand foot cliff by your teeth or upside down in a plane in severe turbulence. <laughs> That's when you need to know if God hears your prayers because most people don't think those. You know, if you want an audience for the King of England, you don't show up in your pajamas. There's certain etiquette that must take place. Mm. You might have to bow slightly, wear a certain type of clothing, not wear loud clothes, whatever. And with God, it's like that on steroids. The
1: Bible well, says but people show head. up in their pajamas in our churches these days. <laughs> <It's> disgusting.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's disgusting. So, that's the how preacher, they think maybe,
1: about God today.
0: Well, maybe the preacher's putting them to sleep and they're just getting ready for it. I don't know.
1: But, You're the yeah, good so humor this, guy, I'll tell you.
0: There's There's a certain etiquette when it comes to God, and the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And so there are certain things that must take place, because God is not a divine butler. He doesn't come running when you click your fingers. Of course, he's omniscient. He hears everything we say, but the Bible says he takes no regard if we have sin in our heart. Isaiah says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, so he will not. Yeah, so it's vital. How come we don't hear so that we,
1: preached about these days?
0: <clears throat> because they're too busy telling you how you can improve your life
1: mm-hmm. rather
3: than, than,
0: than opening up the divine word and preaching righteousness in the great congregation. Mm. Brother, could we digress, and I share a little bit about an outreach we're having in London that's very exciting. Oh, go ahead. About six months ago, I began thinking, you know, King Charles is going to be crowned on May 6th. This is when a hundred hundreds of millions of people will watch him in yeah. a live church service, lay his hand on the Bible and swear before God to uphold the biblical truth of salvation by grace through faith without works.
1: But pr- Prince have... Charles is the one who said that he is no longer the defender of the faith, he's defender of all the faiths.
0: <clears throat> yeah, but he repented of that and he made an apology. He said he's still defender of the faith, but he wants to be open to other faiths. And oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So... <laughs> He also is going to be given three swords. <clears throat> One of the swords is a blunt sword, the sword of mercy. Another sword is a sharp sword, the sword of justice. Uh-huh. He's, going to be given a, he's going to carry an orb with a cross on the top, which is symbolic of the reign of Jesus Christ of the whole earth. Mm. There are ten things that are going to take place in this two-hour service that are all very spiritual. I thought, man, it would be great if we produced a gospel track with Charles on the front and the gospel on the back. So I made a video, sent it to my team, And I received an email from a guy. He said, what are you working on? So I sent him the video, and he sent the ministry $200,000. Showed someone else the video, they sent $50,000. Showed someone else, they sent $100,000. So we had 3 million tracks printed. We said, we'll pay the shipping, and we'll pay for the uh, tracks. They're totally free, and we'll send them to anywhere in Europe, Great Britain, Australia, Canada, or the United States. Mm. And 3 million tracks. It's now up to $15.8 Over uh, Nearly 2,000 people from Britain are going to London to give out these tracks during that procession. And over 500 Americans are actually flying across to give out these tracks. 15.8 million tracks, totally free. We pay the shipping. And if I may give the email address, um, sorry, the site address. Go ahead. Livingwaters.com forward slash London. Livingwaters.com forward slash London. We're not endorsing... Charles in the slightest. We're doing what Paul did in Acts seventeen, when he preached to the Athenians. He quoted mm-hmm. pagan Greek poets that were probably into adultery and all sorts of weird things. Was he endorsing? No, he was using them as a bridge to reach his hearers, and that's all we're doing with this coronation: using this as a bridge to reach the hearers, so people can get these free tracks, free shipping, livingwaters dot com forward slash London. And thank you for letting me share that.
1: Well, sure, it's very exciting and. Uh you are, have always been kind of on the cutting edge of genuine, uh, genuine evangelism, uh, not based upon uh, making false promises to people to lure them into the congregations under false pretenses, but actually to uh, present the genuine gospel that you're a sinner, you need a Savior, and without it you're in deep, deep trouble. And uh, that's really uh, where the message is. But here's the problem as I see it. Uh, 99.9% of our listeners on this program are professing Christians from all over the world. In fact, uh, last month, our program was actually heard uh, by at least one person in 179 countries. So it's getting out there somewhat. And uh, what we're doing is calling the church back. To righteousness, for righteousness alone exalts any nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. But if God's people, those who profess his name, are not living righteously, then what message is that we're actually delivering to people in the name of evangelism? What say you?
0: Yeah, The the word evangelism, uh, to most Christians, is as exciting as the word root canal. It really is not something we want to be involved in. And um, I've got to admit that I don't like evangelism, but I don't have any choice. Every day I go to a local college twice a day. I go on my electric bike. My dog sits on a platform. She wears sunglasses. I wear sunglasses. People come up to us and say, (laughs) you can actually see this on our YouTube channel. It's got 237 million views, just gone to 238, I think. And uh, you can see the dog. I use, and use her often and as bait when I go fishing for men. But it's something I'd rather, I'd far rather watch television, watch an old black-and-white movie than go and approach strangers. But there's one thing that's cut down the fear of man. It's taken Goliath down to Zacchaeus, and that is this one question. Do you think there's an afterlife, or do you think there's life after death? You know, there's those who believe in a relationship evangelism. So do I. Sometimes I'll build a relationship one maybe two minutes before i witness to someone let me give you an example some guy shows up at a ministry he's a plumber he's obviously a complete stranger so i go up and say hey what's your name he says eric and i say oh, hi eric nice to meet you hey eric i got a question for you do you think there's an afterlife 11 seconds the guy's not offended because i haven't mentioned god jesus bible heaven hell sin righteousness or judgment i've just said do you think there's an afterlife and he says well Oh, I hope so. Now, his I hope so has just dissipated my fears. He's not the Antichrist. He hasn't stabbed me to death. He's a human <laughs> being with a will to live. God's written eternity on his heart. And so now I say, well, if heaven exists, are you going to make it there? Are you a good person? He says, oh, I'm a really good person. So let's see if you've kept the Ten Commandments. Let's go through them. And that's when that the law gives him light. It's like a mirror that shows him he's unclean. Mm-hmm. Let's give the water to wash. And so evangelism, scary though it is, And something we're all called to, we've got a moral obligation. Uh, We're like firefighters. A firefighter doesn't show up and say, oh boy, that lady's on the fifth story. I've got to climb a 60-foot ladder to reach her with the children, places on fire, I'd rather be home with my wife. No, he's a firefighter. He doesn't listen to his fears. He thinks that that woman and the children up in that fifth story, they're going to burn to death if he doesn't do something. So he has a moral obligation. He has a Mentality of not listening to his fear because mm-hmm. he thinks of other people. That's the key to evangelism. Jude 23, others having compassion. There's the love and
3: mm-hmm. right.
0: making a difference, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And what's happened is we've forsaken the doctrine of hell. We don't think about it. We don't hear it preached, and yet it still exists. The Apostle Paul said, Wherefore, knowing the terror of the lord we persuade men No wait a minute but wait really, just
1: a minute yes. wait just a minute knowing oh, the terror of the lord we persuade men When was the last time you heard that passage preached from Maybe that never The the reality is that the fear of the Lord has fallen on extremely hard times. It used to be that uh, a God fearing man was the way that uh, a person was referred to in this country if he kept his word and uh, basically believed in God and so on, whether or not he was a Christian. But for the past 30, 40 years, I've asked many people, Christian leaders, pastors, parachurch leaders, and so on, on this program, Ray. When was the last time you heard that phrase, a God-fearing man, and not one could remember in the last 30 years? We've lost the fear of the Lord in the land, and because of that, we've lost the wisdom of the Lord, and because of that, professing Christians are not walking in the ways of the Lord, and if we're not walking in the ways of the Lord, then how can we expect Him to hear our voice?
0: So the idea, to, to, the way to get the fear of God is to throw out the idols of our fathers, toss out that image you have of God sitting on a cloud with a pink nightie playing touch fingers with Adam. God's <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> the way to get the fear of God is either move to take Texas and sit through a thunderstorm, that'll put the fear of God in you, or read scripture with an open heart and see how God killed a husband and wife in the book of Acts because they told one liar. Or how he killed a man in Genesis 38 because he didn't like what he did sexually. Or how a user reached out to steady the ark and God killed him because God is holy. Or read how Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll put you in a cleft of a rock and let my goodness pass you by. Moses didn't ask to see the goodness of God. What does that mean? He wanted to see the glory of God. Well, it's like a judge in a court of law looks at a criminal that's committed murder on an 11-year-old girl after he raped her. He strangled her to death. If that judge is a good judge, he'll be furious, and he'll bring down that gavel with wrath if he's a good judge. If he's not, he'll say, oh, six months. But if he's a good judge, he'll be filled with anger, and his his anger will be in direct proportion to his goodness. If he's good, he'll be angry. And God is so good, if we stood in his presence, his wrath would come upon us like grease lightning and send us to hell. His wrath abides on us, the scriptures say. Every time we sin, we store up his wrath. But God, in his kindness and his great mercy, made a cleft of a rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself from you. And so, or well, from thee, King James.
1: So, so if we have that attitude uh, here as we're coming toward the, the the end of the program, which I regret, by the way, but uh, if we have that attitude, an attitude of humility and the fear of the Lord, and we're walking, we understand that we are to walk not okaying the word of the lord but obeying the word of the lord if we really have that understanding in our minds and our hearts that's when we can expect god to answer our prayers for one thing our prayers will be oriented according to his word his will and his ways not according to ours right
0: absolutely and the fear of the lord is not a bad thing in the same way uh fear of Falling out of a plane, ten thousand feet, and hitting the ground at one hundred and twenty miles an hour, will cause you to put on a parachute. That's what the, that fear is—a good fear. It's making you put on a parachute.
3: Exactly. And the
0: fear of the Lord causes us to part from evil. And I don't—I'm not horrified at God. I'm not terrified of His wrath. I shelter in Christ from it. I'm grateful for the Savior, washing me clean in the sight of God. However, that fear of God causes me to look away when I want to lust. It stops me from looking at the pleasure of pornography. It stops me listening to gossip. And now, wait a minute. We... you. Said,
1: those are the things, among many others, that can prevent us from here God from hearing our prayers. He just not is not going to listen to somebody that comes to the judge with unclean hands and an impure heart. Ray, I, I am so delighted that you've joined us here on the program today. Thank you so much for sharing so much so quickly Uh, It takes a man from New Zealand, maybe with an accent, to kind of get the message across. But I appreciate it so much. Friends, the book is How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. $15 is going to put this $17 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Pray for our brother uh, Ray. What's that? Well, it's too late to give the email address again, so... God bless, be a blessing, and let's get this Prince Charles uh, evangelism going.
0: You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.